0: Turning to Revelation chapter 1 this afternoon, Revelation chapter 1, and I'll read the chapter and I'll let you know when we come to the text, which is verses 9 through 17. We're going through this in Cambridge and plan just to go through the first three chapters of Revelation. At this point, that's as far as I intend to go. And so our focus will be verses 9 through 17 this afternoon, but I'll read the entire chapter. This is God's holy, inspired, and sufficient word for his church and for us as believers. And let us hear then that word to us. Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it, by his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near John to the seven churches which are in Asia grace to you and peace from him which who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Here begins our text. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass. As if refined in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. There ends our text. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches in our text, verses 9 through 17, 17a beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ Boys and girls, when you're uh, sitting at the table sometimes, perhaps, and you have a, have a little one in the family, then as you're, you're eating your food, the little one might be done a little bit earlier and might get a little bit antsy, and mom or dad might let him out of his high chair, and he crawls around the table and around your feet and places some toys in the corner. And then it comes time for devotions. And dad and mom calls them back over again. And uh, maybe he comes and you hoist them up. their mom or dad hoists them up on their lap. And so he can see and be part of, again, of, of, of the family activities and be part of the devotions that you have. You're reading the Bible and you're praying together. Well, in a similar way, we lift up our souls to heaven when we worship the Lord. We, In the worship of God, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and, 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 and lifts us up. We look to God and we're, we're lifted up in the Spirit. Uh, and, and we, uh, the, uh, Paul, Apostle Paul speaks of, of the fact that we as believers, are, we set our heart and mind on things above where Christ is and that, that being risen in Christ and ascended with Him, we are ascended into the heavenlies. And the writer of Hebrews speaks of, of worship as being in the heavenly sanctuary, which is Jesus Christ. We gather in Him. In Psalm 86 and 143, the psalmist, both those psalms, Christ the Lord, these words, For I lift my soul to you. Our congregation this morning we celebrated a different sacrament that of communion, Lord's Supper. and John Calvin notes that that the same principles is there in the Lord's Supper as well. Uh, that, that that communion is is more about the spirit and, and us lifting up our souls uh, to God before God's throne, to Christ, into heaven in a sense than it is Christ coming down to us. There's more about our souls being raised to Christ in faith and being satisfied with the grace of our Heavenly Lord and His presence than Christ coming down to us in a carnal, fleshly manner. So are we now in this worship service lifting up our souls to the Lord in song and prayer as we hear His Word? Like a little child at the table. The Lord has allowed us to, uh, to, to, to leave the, the, the earthly level below, in a sense, and to gather with all the saints before his throne and worship. Well, we see that that's what John also experienced, and it's on the Lord's day, as he says in our text. And that's actually the first time that expression, just like that, is used. It doesn't say, day of the Lord, but Lord's day. Indeed, there's a similar, similar. It's similar, but the wording is slightly different, and and and, and it's already it's clear that that's that they're seeing this as a regular uh, pattern in their week that they are to follow, uh, not just at that point, but already back to back to uh, when Christ rose from the dead on that day, and that the Spirit then lifts John's heart up into the heavenlies to behold the Lord. What would that be like? What does he see, boys and girls? What's described to us here? What does it mean to us that John experienced that 2,000 years ago? What does that mean for us? The Lord revealed himself to John, reveals himself through his word to us, that we might see that he is the glorious sovereign, sovereign, sorry, the glorious sovereign able to deliver his church and destroy the wicked. We see first the the word for the church. We see secondly the description of the speaker. And then thirdly, we see John's response, the response to the... the, uh, uh, the appearance At first a word to the church so John introduces himself here in verse 9 following uh, the, the, the greeting his greeting to the, the churches and his introduction brings before us the, the truth that Christ speaks to us in our context of suffering and reigning as believers John introduces himself as as, as a friend, as, as their brother and companion in, in, uh, in, in three things. Brother and companion, or that word companion is uh, better translated as, as partaker, fellow partaker with them. With them, he's, 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 he's taking hold and celebrating and participating in th- these things together. And three things he mentions here one tribulation of Jesus Christ second kingdom of Jesus Christ and third patience or endurance or steadfastness of Jesus Christ first he says he's a fellow partaker in the tribulation of Jesus Christ remember that the apostle paul said that we are we have been united not only in Christ's resurrection, but we've been united in His death. We've been united in His sufferings. That those who are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ have a cross to take up. And because the world hated the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will hate us too. These sufferings are not atoning sufferings. That's not the purpose of them. They're for our good. They're to shape in us. They're to sanctify us. They're to refine us. They're to mark us out, distinguish us from the rest of the world. But in, but in a sense they they're they they're they're the after effects of Jesus Christ's sufferings. In that way they're they're they're, they're after ways. They're, 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 there's a sense in which uh, even though they're different degree and different purpose, that yet there's something similar about them. John makes it clear he's with them in these things. He's with you. Both the sheep and the shepherds experience the same sufferings, and perhaps even true shepherds might at times experience even more, because John goes on to say after this that he was he was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and of the testimony or the witness of Jesus Christ. He's, he's on this island of Patmos because he's been ministering God's word. He's been declaring the very things that are true. They're for the life of sinners. Therefore, the, these, are, these are the good things of God, the good news of Jesus Christ for the salvation of all who believe. And here he is suffering because of it. He's witnessing to Jesus Christ. He's been faithful. He's declaring the truth. And under Emperor Domitian's power, he's separated from the churches to which he was serving and placed on an island far away. We don't know if there's other people there, but in whatever case, he's an exile there. Scottish minister Samuel Rutherford, he also was put in exile by a bishop for being faithful to the Lord and not bowing the knee to the king's edicts concerning the church. And he it drew his heart up to, to, to see the heavenly Jerusalem and, and what we have in Christ. And he said, What do we hear? What do we have here but sin and suffering? There's a reality in this life. And while we do have the good things and gifts of God around us, yet life continually we're met by our own sin and the sufferings also that come because of sin in this world. There's so much. We are united to Christ in his sufferings. Through many tribulations, we enter into the kingdom of God. So there's this participation in tribulations, and that's part of the context that God's Word comes to them, comes to the church. That's part of the, the context in which Jesus Christ manifests himself and shows himself to us for our consolation. But it's not just the sinner suffering, not just the believer suffering. It's also the believer reigning with Christ in this world as well. There's like a dual reality here in this world. We're, we're experiencing the troubles of this world. But yet, it says, we are also partakers of the kingdom. We mustn't forget that. We can so easily focus and be discouraged or even depressed by the brokenness of this world and our own brokenness, our own proclivity to sin. and Be overcome by the guilt that we of our sin but in Jesus Christ there's a victory and he has won he has been given a kingdom and we are partakers of that kingdom that doesn't mean just receiving it that means now participating in John says that he is a fellow partaker of it with these churches John had just greeted them saying that Jesus Christ, that part of his work was to make them kings and priests. And so this kingdom is a is a kingdom of kings. It's a kingdom of, of princes and princesses, of kings and queens. We're part of this kingdom that God has given to us. And we reign and we conquer with Christ. And so while being persecuted in this world, while the churches subdued at times, exiled, censored by governments here, even though we might endure tribulations, we also partake in a kingdom. It's almost like our, 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 our feet are, are moving here, and our hands are, are moving here in this world and experiencing these, these trials, and our head is in the kingdom of God. Not exactly because we're, we're, we're here. We're all here. But we're also united with Christ in His kingdom. But the, that dual sense of reality for the believer. And so we're conquering sin. We're spreading the gospel, which no one can stop. The church is increasing and growing Believers are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and believing in Him and leaving their sin, turning from things that the world says are good, and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ and being identified in Christ and in obedience to Him and fulfilling the roles and and, and callings that God has given. And that continues on. That's part of Christ's kingdom, and it will continue. But being in these tribulations and being part of this kingdom, which is, there's a progress with that kingdom. There's a process involved in that. There's a necessity then that also we fellowship in endurance. In the endurance of Jesus Christ, in His steadfastness. There's that progression of Christ's reign. It says in the scriptures, until he puts all things under his feet. The Lord Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put all things under your feet. And the enemies are being put, subdued, they're being put under Christ's feet. And Paul says the last enemy will be death. In other words, there's a whole progression of of, of these victories, these conquests of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just a one-time, once-for-all, completed act. There will come a time in which the last enemy will be put under his feet. You see, Christ, he perseveres to the end. He continues on. He binds the time for the completion of it, and we participate then in that patience of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have faith in him, and we move together with him. It's like the hymn, right onward Christian soldiers, like a mighty army, moves the church of God with her leader, with her captain. And see so you're called to endure faithfully the tribulations, looking to that point. A finish. He's seeking to have that kind of perseverance. You know that you're not in it just for a time, but for the long haul. And so continue on in faith. Continue on in endurance. Continue on in the conquest of Christ and in his kingdom. And so Christ's message comes in the context of John and the seven churches and us suffering and reigning as those with Christ. And Christ delivers this word to us. To to us. And he identifies himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. That is, the, the one who transcends all these things. The one who transcends all the earthly powers as well as all our tribulation. And who has the whole kingdom in his hand. He is the immutable one, the infinite one, the ever-living one. One with the Father and the Spirit. And so this word that he speaks to us is, just as the rest of Scripture, it is a word of God. It is a word of God. What you see right in a book, send it to the seven churches, he says. He mentions these names, the seven churches who are in Asia in a book. So John is to have it, cause it to be inscripturated. God would have his word inscripturated so it be we recognize it as his inspired and his sufficient word which we don't add to, we don't take it away. It stands at the center of the ministry of the church and we receive it. And so these seven churches that are to receive these, uh, this word and these are seven historical churches. It uh, refers to seven, seven individual churches in seven different cities uh, and, uh, in, in Asia. So we're not uh, trying to generalize that. Although the, name, the, the, the fact that it's seven and the fact that it's seven lamps before God indicates that it is also representative of the whole universal church but each one we see individually refers to a particular church at that time. And so these words are to be applied then indeed to the church of every age, even though they were first, their first context was to a particular church. Now, secondly, we move to the description of the speaker. Description of the speaker. John... Hears this voice behind him, this vision, and it comes as a trumpet. The trumpet announces with great authority and with great volume. It's blown before kings. And so John hears it. And he he turns to see the voice that spoke. And as he turns to see the voice that spoke, he sees the Lord in his ascended glory. But first he sees seven golden lampstands. Seven golden lampstands. You remember, boys and girls, where the lamp, golden lampstand was. It was in the tabernacle. It was in the holy place, not the most holy place, but in that first tent, uh, first part of the tent, the first room of the tent, first core of the tent. Uh, and, and on the table, next to the showbread, there was the, tent, the, 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 the uh, golden lampstand with seven branches, seven sticks, with seven lamps on top of them. And it represented the light of truth shining from God through His church to the world. Christ says in verse 20 that these are then the the seven churches. The seven churches. Representative of the whole church. So think of that. The seven golden lampstand. This part of the furniture of the tabernacle. At this time, around uh, AD 90, John's writing this, Commander Titus, under uh, under the Roman emperor, had destroyed the temple, had taken the actual lampstand from the tabernacle and brought it to Rome, and it was later on put in the temple of a false god by Vespasian. But here, in John's vision, here is the golden lampstand before God. Here is the church, the true golden lampstand, his church, representative of his church, and there in the midst of her is Christ. Christ, as, uh, uh, just as in the Old Testament uh, in, uh, when, when, the, when the tabernacle was made and the, the golden lampstand was placed there and the temple, a tabernacle was, was, uh, um, was consecrated to the Lord, we read in, in Exodus of, of Aaron going in there and lighting the lampstands, the lamps. And in Leviticus chapter 24, there's commands given there that the the priests are to keep those lamps burning. And here is Christ in the midst of those lamps as a high priest. He's there ministering on behalf of His church. Outside the tabernacle, there was the the altar, and and, and the uh, the the atoning sacrifice would be would would have taken place on that altar. There would be have been the the the, uh, the lambs that would have been, been uh, the lamb that would have been sacrificed before the God before God or the goat, and its blood would have been shed, and that blood would have been taken into the tabernacle and spread sprinkled on all the furniture, also on the mercy seat of God. And that would be a sign that indeed someone, something must die for the sins of Israel. Something must take the place before before God and satisfy His justice. And here is Jesus Christ having been that Lamb who has brought the perfect sacrifice on behalf of His people. And now he stands there as the high priest, not as a high priest who is who is bringing forth, still sacrificing, but as the one who has brought that per- perfect sacrifice, standing there in the presence of God in his holy garments, and he's interceding for his people. He's there among the lampstands. He's there trimming the lamps, sanctifying His people. He's there fueling those lamps, as it were, supplying the strength and power of the Spirit to them so that they might continue on, that they might be upheld, even in their tribulations. He's ministering out of the sufficiency of Himself, out of the fullness of the Spirit, out of all of His gifts. And this is Him upholding you. Christ is there in the midst of you, strengthening you, supplying you, keeping you well trimmed, fueling you, keeping you burning for Him. And how you must trust in Him We will die out and burn out if it were not for Him. Let's not be discouraged in tribulations that He preserves so that we might continue on in endurance. What John then turns and sees is not a visual painting that he gives to us, but he gives us words. And we shouldn't try to <clears throat> make this into some visual painting. He says it is one like the Son of Man. John had seen him risen from the grave. He had seen him in his resurrected glory. Remember that they, 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 he was something different about him. They didn't right away recognize him. But they heard his voice, and they knew it was him and so but John hadn't seen him in his ascended glory in his exalted glory in the glory that he had there at the right hand of God, in his full glory here, and so he describes him as of the as, as like the Son of man this is this is Jesus Christ, yes, this is his voice, but but his glory is as of the one that's described in Daniel, the prophet Daniel, the one that Daniel said was as the Son of Man. In Daniel 7, the Son of Man comes to the ancient of days and is given dominion and glory and an everlasting kingdom and all nations shall serve him. And that title, Son of Man, then, doesn't just mean he's a, he's a baby like Clark William, like one of us. But it means he's the son of God he is God remember when 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 the when the then when Christ was before the council before the Pharisees the chief priests and lawyers and they they said to him testify to us that are you uh, under oath are you the son of God and Christ said I see so, I see the Son of man rising he he mentions the son of man with a reference to himself and they Right away, they took that as blasphemy. They railed against him. He was titled synonymous, in a sense, with the Son of God. Making himself equal with God. A messianic title. Well, here in John's vision, we see that this Messiah is in his glory from the description that's given it's given in in similar details to daniel chapter 10 where daniel sees a son of man again in a vision there's a majestic glory here that that's that is awesome too much for the eye that has has would have terror for those who would not submit to him he's adorned with a royal garment he's kingly he's a kingly priest his eyes like flames of fire, feet shining as brass, a voice that sounds as powerful and full as many waters, as the waves crashing on Patmos's shore, perhaps. In his right hand, he holds seven stars, and out of his mouth, a sharp, two-edged sword, the sword of the king. that executes exactly what he determines to do. It goes forth with power, that word. His countenance as a sun shining in its full strength. You can't look at the sun uh, straight on the sun. It will burn your retina. And Jesus Christ shines like the sun in its full strength. This is the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory as God, but also in his glory. Glory as a mediator. In his mediatorial glory. The Lord of glory. You remember remember when King Ahasuerus asked Haman, what should be done for the man that the king delights to honor? The the, the man that the, the, the king wants to reward? Well, here is our Lord Jesus Christ. What should be done for the one whom God delights to honor he has gone as the mighty hero the one who has done the will of god which which no one else could ever say send me i'll go do it and he said i have come to do your will O god what should be done for this one he is the one who underwent the furnace of god's wrath the wrath that we deserve that we will experience if christ is not our substitute for us He's the one who went through the fires of hellish agony for all who put their trust in Him. He's the one that carried your sin before a holy God, the one who took upon Himself the penalty of the wretched, cursed cross. He's the one who in His body has gone to the belly of the earth for you in obedience to the will of His Father. He's performed it. The will of God has prospered in His hand. What shall be done for Him? But John sees he is highly exalted. This is the Lord of glory no longer on a cross, no longer to be depicted on a crucifix. He is the Lord of glory to be read of in revelation here as the as as one who's been given a name above every name. The name of the Lord and everyone professes him as such and bows a knee before him. He's no baby in a manger anymore. He's no mild-mannered man. Although he is tender and gracious to his people, to those who believe in him, but he's also a mighty king. This is not just a figment of people's imagination. This is a historical Lord Jesus Christ who has come in AD 4, and has died on the cross when he was 30, 32 years old and is now at the right hand of God. There's no grave with his name on it. He is glorified. And that glory, that glory, the radiance of his glory is a comfort for believers in their tribulation. He will deliver But that same glory will be a terror for those who will not obey. He cannot be manipulated. He cannot be resisted. He cannot be sidelined. He cannot be detoured. Every person shall stand before him. And everyone who puts their trust in him will never be ashamed. That's his promise. That's his word. He's the Lord of glory. Well, John, the response to his glory, he falls as though dead. He falls as though dead. Parallel response to Daniel's who lost strength before the almighty king of kings. You see, the, almighty, the unmistakable awareness of this one, this almighty one, as a mortal stands before him, that awareness takes over everything within a person. There's an emptying of self before the glory of God. As you go on and read, you see that there's not a destruction of the believer, but rather God sustains in comfort and life and a blessing. We fall and worship it before him, but not in terror. With such a God who is so great. I bring us back to what we read in Psalm eight, the opening of this of this service. Who are we that you should take notice of us? What is man that you should visit him? What he does. What he does. Read in that greeting. He loved us. And so he gave himself for us. And that's the reason for this exalted glory. For believers, this is our glory. This is our glory that we also partake of and rejoice in and enter into by faith. Praise him for this. Look to him through your tribulations and see him reigning on the throne. See that you are, yes, in this world, yes, partaking of these tribulations, but also of his kingdom, also of his glory. You are one with the Lord of glory. Look in faith and trust in him. And he will continue to uphold you and keep you burning. Amen. Let's pray.